The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Good morning and welcome. My name is Jeff Long. I serve as the lead pastor responsible for preaching and teaching. I'm grateful that you are here. Uh, we are in Psalm 7, preaching through the Psalms one at a time. This week we come to the seventh Psalm. I just want to say a few words before I read the text to you. Uh, for some of you, maybe this is your first time in church, your first time in a long time. Uh, probably for a lot of you, it's going to be the first time you've ever heard a sermon like this. Uh, you don't know me, uh, if that's the case. Uh, but what I'm about to do is going to be done for two reasons. I tremble at the God's word and I love you. Whether I know you or not, I, I come out of love today. The offense of the past several weeks, and some of you don't have any context for what I'm saying, but the events of the past several weeks in the life of this local church in this community and across the Southern Baptist Convention have been difficult. In fact, they've been excruciating to me. The Self family, uh, which experienced a beyond description horrific event last Sunday afternoon, uh, are in need of our prayers and our help. I encourage you to be careful in what you say. Um, <clears throat> there are too many people for me to count that are connected to the Self family. Um, one one uh, member of the Self family is, is a member of this local church and sings up here regularly. Uh, <clears throat> his best friend, I just met his best friend from high school is a member here. It's just multiple people have been affected so be careful in what you say. Pray for Venture Church. Uh, the Self family as a unit uh, are deeply involved in Venture and that body is struggling. Those who can and willing, uh, I would encourage you to help the family. Uh, the Self family fund on a GoFundMe has been set up to go to help with medical and funeral expenses and uh, encourage your help there. I don't expect that you're really aware unless you've seen something on Twitter or possibly Facebook or read in a newspaper. But in the Southern Baptist Convention in the last three weeks, almost daily, there have been resignations and terminations of pastors and denominational leaders for sexual sin. I'm stunned. This is a sobering time. So today, it is my prayer that we're gonna approach the seventh Psalm in God's sovereignty that he would have us for us today and that we would be sobered and that we would be comforted, that we would look to him. So with that in mind, let us read together the seventh Psalm. I invite you to stand. This is God's word. 
The Shagayon of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjamite. O Lord, my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. Lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. O Lord, my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it. And let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory to the dust. Selah. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake from me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end and may you establish the righteous. You who test the minds and hearts, oh, righteous God. My shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man will not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head and on his own skull his violence descends. I will give thanks to the Lord. Give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness. And I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Let's pray. Oh God, we are perplexed. This world is confusing us. So we have sung together that you are the rock that will not move. We see in this text that you are a shield, that you are refuge, that you are the God most high. So sober us and bring us to repentance today and comfort us, bringing us to joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. The Lord God is the righteous judge and refuge. A shagayon, that means an erratic song, which David sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjamite. The best explanation, though Cush is not clearly identified in the scripture, the best explanation that I have found is that Cush was likely a part of the Benjamite tribe loyal to Saul who has misrepresented David to Saul. It's a false accusation. Verse three says, if I have done this. So there's a false painful allegation that has been put forward with an attempt to destroy David. Now, brothers and sisters, all kinds of persecutions have been used against the saints of God for centuries. People have been put to death and imprisoned and mistreated in all kinds of ways. But the universal weapon against the people of God is the tongue. It's mocking, misrepresenting, slander 
used against the people of God, which brings the most distress and pain. So with that in mind, we come to the psalm and we first see the comforting reality that the righteous judge is our refuge in the face of wrongful slander and suffering. David issues a confident cry. Oh Lord, my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. Lest like a lion, they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. The way this language plays out in the first verse, it means that David has already taken his refuge in the Lord. It's not that a difficult moment has come and he's run to God. He's in a fixed state. God is his refuge. The Lord, my God. Not the idea of God, but a personal, real relationship to where he cries out to God with personal confidence to him. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. Now that takes on deeper meaning in the next verse when it says, less less like a lion, they tear, and notice this, my soul apart. Now this is not meaning that, that, that they can take away his salvation. But what David is pointing to, this is far deeper than what somebody can do to the body. It's what this is doing to his very heart and soul. The pain and the agony that he's carrying. And there's this false idea that's around now. Well, that was in the Old Testament. God doesn't let that happen to the New Testament believer. Folks, read your Bible. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. This is a parallel text to what we're studying here. Peter has written this letter to suffering Christians. And here's his closing exhortation. In chapter five, verse six, he says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, keep your mind, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Everybody look up here. Here's the temptation he brings when he comes to devour. He's the one saying, God will never let his people suffer. Heard it all week. Where was God last Sunday? Brothers and sisters, we live in a sinful, broken world. And it's a miracle that more things like last Sunday don't happen every day. Suffering is a part of the world we live in. It is a part of our lives. So we are to sober ourselves up, resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that this suffering is experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to eternal glory in Christ, will restore him, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
So we see here that he is the Lord, our God, that we are suffering, that we suffer as Christians, that we have an adversary, but Christ dominates him. He has dominion over all things. Christ wins. And as a result, we approach him with humility. Back to Psalm 7. It is with humility now that David brings his careful cry. O Lord, my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory to the dust. Selah. This means for David, he paused here thinking about what he said. And when we come in humility, that does not require us to acknowledge the truth of the false charges brought against us. What humility demands is a judgment of ourselves. We are not below the truth or above the truth. We answer to God. Now David here is not claiming absolute perfection. What he's claiming here ultimately is that in this instance, he's lived right. However, he is careful to realize that it is possible that he is harboring sinful attitudes and desires that have resulted in sinful action. I'm sure I'm not the only one that's gotten high and mighty over a situation of something that's happened to you and in my high and mightiness acted in sin. Look at the conditional phrase, it's three times, verse five, verse three. If I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil. David submits his case to God and here's what he's saying. God, you're the judge. You're the one who knows perfectly. This is a quote. It is better to maintain integrity and to continue to suffer injustice than to sell out to evil and form ranks with the unrighteous. So we should never take this psalm and use it as a way to act ungodly to someone who has treated us wrong. Here's why. We live under the sobering reality that the Lord God is a righteous judge. Now he appeals for judgment. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift up yourself against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it, return on high. And here's what he's saying. That the Lord God is the judge. That he may appear at this moment to be asleep. So he prays, wake up, arise, O Lord. God will awake. God will do the work of retribution. And it is both wise and safe for us to leave our persecutors and, our, and those who have slandered us in the hands of Almighty God. Realizing that we will all be gathered about him. Acts 17, 31, he has fixed the day when he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. That is Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
In verse eight, the Lord judges the people. Judge me according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end that you may establish the righteous who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. You know what that means? It means God knows exactly what's going on inside of you right now. There ain't no trick in him at all. You don't live in my skin and what it's been like to be me, but I can get around people and they don't know who I am and they're talking and then somebody will whisper, he's a pastor. Whoop. Oh, I'm sorry, pastor. I didn't mean to say that. I'm, this is normally my response. You're not going to answer to me. You're not. Guess what? I'm not going to answer to you either. We will all be gathered one day at the throne of God and we will all answer to him. No creature is hidden from his sight. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We must. Hebrews 4.31. 13, excuse me. What's your hope? It's verse 10. My shield is with God. The only hope is God himself who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge. And then it says this, a God who feels indignation every day. And he's, Whoa, what does that mean? Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It does not mean that God is driven by his emotions. He's not like me who gets white hot mad and responds in his anger. It's not what it means. It means that God, because he is righteous, hates sin and must respond to sin accordingly. This is a quote. I found it very helpful to me this week. There was never a renewed soul that was not grieved by the wickedness of their times. Hypocrites may make an idle lament over the degenerate age, but God's real people enter into such grief with heartfelt sincerity. Some men spend all their sighs about the wickedness of others and forget their own sins, but the child of God hates and laments all sin because all sin dishonors God. The child of God is distressed over their sin and the sin of others. When wickedness is rampant, the righteous fear and tremble and utter strong cries against it to God. Here's what we gotta remember, brothers and sisters. God is a righteous judge. And because the wicked are always wicked and because God is always holy, his relation to them is ever one of opposition. Always. God cannot tolerate wickedness. 
And it gets deeply serious now. And I'm gonna ask everybody just keep your seat. You could wanna get up and walk out. Frankly, I'd kind of like to. The appeal for repentance. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has been and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked can conceive evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head and on his own skull, his violence descends. So I have a question for you. Don't answer out loud. Is this text meant to frighten you? I can hear it. Well, you know, that's Old Testament. Okay. Can I turn over to the New Testament and read you a verse? Hebrews 10, 31. Just listen. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I'm quoting Spurgeon. This was a hundred years ago and he refers to 200 years ago. Listen carefully. The evil generation has labored to take away from God the sword of his justice. They have endeavored to prove to themselves that God will clear the guilty and will by no means punish iniquity, transgression, and sin. 200 years ago, the predominant strain of the pulpit was one of terror. It thundered forth the dreadful wrath of God from the lips of a Baxter and a Bunyan. You heard the most terrible sermons, full to the brim with warnings of judgment to come. Perhaps some of the Puritan fathers may have gone too far and given too much prominence to the terrors of the Lord in their ministry. But the age in which we live has sought to forget those terrors altogether. And we dare to tell men that God will punish them for their sins. It is charged that we want to bully them into religion. And if we faithfully and honestly tell our hearers that sin must bring after it certain destruction, it is said that we are attempting to frighten them into goodness. We do not care what men mockingly impute to us. We feel it our duty when people sin to tell them that they will be punished. And as long as the world will not give up its sin, we feel we must not cease our warnings. So let's go back through this text here. There's some serious warnings. Let's get these images. They're old images, but we can get them. Here's the image. For every person in this room who has not repented of their sin and turned to Christ, God has a sharpening wheel. And he currently is sharpening his sword. There's a second image. To everyone who has not repented, God has a bow drawn to the target. And when he releases, he will not miss. He has prepared deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. And here's what he says is true of you, the unrepentant. You conceive evil and pregnant with mischief and give birth to lies. You're digging a pit and you're gonna fall into the pit. 
It's as if you got a massive rock that you're hurling toward God in mockery. And here's what God's saying. It's going to descend on your head. So hear me. This used to be a male problem, but I'm going to be very specific now. This used to be a man problem. Now it's translated into our, to the women of this culture and how this it just baffles me. Everything that has happened in the last several weeks as related to the Southern Baptist Convention and others is tied back to pornography. How can we gather as the people of God every week and expect that our men and women have immersed themselves in the smut of pornography and then come together and praise a holy God? How? How can we expect that this is going to continue on and God not judge it? After the second sermon this morning, this is what occurred to me. Pornography is a big, massive rock that we've hurled up in mockery to God to say we can do what we want to, and it is crashing on our culture. So brothers and sisters, if you need to take your phone home and stomp it, do it. Because it will not stop with pornography. It is the law of diminishing returns. You will go further and you will destroy yourself. God will not be mocked. 1 Peter 4.10, let judgment begin with the house of God. And God has started Listen to this quote. The work of destroying the wicked will not require any special preparation. Every sinner on earth is ready to drop into hell at this instant. This is frightening, but watch this. There's grace in the text. Look in verse 12 closely. I wanna see if you see the grace without me telling you what it is. Look at it closely. If a man does not repent, do the math backwards. Repent. You repent, God relents. And it is in repentance that we come before this holy, righteous God and we find the comforting reality that the Lord God is a righteous judge. Verse 17, I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness. I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the most high. That means there's none like God. There's none with God. There is none besides God. He is in all and through all and above all. He is the blessed God forever. He is the Lord most high. So we say in Psalm 47, one and two, clap your hands, all you peoples, shout to God with loud songs of joy for the Lord, the most high is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. Now do you see those two things coming together? Clap your hands, songs of joy, fear. Folks, here's, here's what happens. Here's what happens. We are prone to extremes. And some of you may grow up when the church lived over here in the extreme of fear and everything was fear, 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 and condemnation and fear. Well, we're not in danger of this anymore. 
In fact, it has become wrong to do what I'm doing today. And we swung way over here that all it is before God is happy clapping and joy. It better be both. It better be both. Because the Lord, the righteous judge, you will stand before him. You will. And, and at that moment, it will be both sobering and joyful for those who are in Christ. So I ask you this, so what question? Is the fact that the Lord God is a righteous judge a sobering and comforting reality to me? Turn to Romans chapter three. This is the gospel, brothers and sisters. This is the good news. This is the message of Christianity. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all the sin and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness. And get this, at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So here it is. Jesus Christ came to this earth and lived a sinless life to go to a sinner's cross to hang in my place and in yours to bear the wrath of God for our sin, mine and yours. On the cross, because of God's righteousness, Jesus Christ satisfied the justice of God in our place. We deserve his anger. We deserve his wrath. We deserve hell. But in Christ, God's justice is satisfied so that when we believe and we repent of our sin and turn to Christ, we are justified. So the day's coming, probably very soon. The day is coming when all of humanity will be gathered at the throne. Now, listen to me. You're not going to stand there with some kind of smirk evangelical grin on your face, looking around at the rest of people like you did something better. The Bible says every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You say, well, wait a minute. Does that mean everybody's in? Oh, no, 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 no. 
as we all in the sobering reality bow at the throne of the king and the judge and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, we who are in Christ will rise in joy. Everyone else will depart weeping and gnashing their teeth. Forever and forever. It is both a sobering reality and a comfort. So I want you to turn to 2 Thessalonians, just a few pages. And I want you to join me in asking this question. Okay, pastor, what do we do in a world gone nuts? What do we do? Second Thessalonians was written to a suffering group of believers. There's an explanation and then a prayer and that's where we're going to prayer. This is the evidence of the righteousness of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well to us. Now, here's the question. When's God given relief? When is it coming? Here's the answer. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. And when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. There's a lot here, but I just want you to see this. That God's gonna be glorified in his people as he's glorified in his people now. And when Jesus comes, here's what this text says, we're gonna marvel. That means when he wields the sword and releases the arrows around us, we're gonna be baffled that we're saved. how do we hold on till he comes? Which we pray, come Lord Jesus. Verse 11, to this end, we always pray for you that God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So hear me, church. God will not be mocked. I'm the only preacher in the room. There are pastors present. I see some visiting even today. I pray that my pastor friends in the convention and across the evangelicalism will hear me. God will not be mocked by us. He will not allow us to stand up in front of people and claim to be something we are not. Judgment has started and he started with preachers. Preachers. 
the church will be next. So this is my prayer for you, that you will be made worthy of your calling and every resolve for good and every work of faith so that Jesus may be glorified. Listen to me, in public and in private. So I call the church to repentance today. Now, I'm not trying to manufacture anything, but I have to say this. We moved into a time, people come up after, after I preach a sermon and say, nobody moved, why does nobody move? There's cultural reasons for that. It, you know, the culture of, well, I don't know people and I'm not coming forward and that kind of thing. All right, I'm gonna tell you one of the main reasons we don't move, it's arrogance. I don't want anybody to think I'm a sinner. Could I just let you in on a secret? We all are. And that's the humility that needs to fall on the church of God. We all are. If I've already said this, I've preached three times, my mind is muddled after the course of this week, but if I'm repetitive, sorry. But I sat in our leadership team and they informed me that one of my heroes had sinned and fallen from grace. And this is the first thought in my mind, that could have been me. Don't you get high and mighty, brothers and sisters. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. I've told you this over and over again. God's not calling on the culture to humble himself. God's calling on his people, his people. So let us humble ourselves and pray. Humble ourselves and pray for our own hearts for this local church, for our community, for the Southern Baptist Convention. You say, I don't know what that is. Well, don't pray for it then. That God would move. Let's pray. Oh God. God, bring your people to repentance. Bring the people in this room to repentance. There are men and women who have rejected Jesus week in and week out. They keep coming here. I pray that today would be the day of salvation, that they would repent of their sin and turn to Christ and that they would make this known either now to a pastor as we sing or immediately following this service by sharing it with another pastor. God, may they cry out to you. For all believers in this room, give us a spirit of repentance both for ourselves, for our church, and for those around us. Bring us to brokenness. Spirit of God, pour out yourself on us in this hour. Fall on us. Do what only you can do. Save souls. Bring to repentance. We pray and plead in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.